I want to ask you a serious question. Have you ever struggled to show up as your authentic self at work? What about with friends? Maybe you've even felt the struggle with family members. And I get it. I've been there too. Which is why I brought Trisha Montavo-Tim, a first-generation Latina executive, board member, investor, and author, to this podcast. Trisha is one of the few Latinas to have attained the triple achievement of reaching the C-suite, joining the boardroom, and cracking the venture capital ceiling. She has risen through the ranks of Silicon Valley, advising high-tech companies both big and small. And her 25-year career culminated in the sales of the data analytics software company Looker to Google for $2.6 billion. So, if it pains you to show up as your full self, if you keep a piece of you hidden away, listen in as we talk about how you can start to reveal your true self at work, especially if you've kept it hidden away for so long. You are listening to the podcast from now to next the podcast that empowers women to get seen, get heard, and get promoted. I'm your host, Erica Rooney, and I've made it my mission to help you break free from the sticky floors, those limiting beliefs and toxic behaviors to bust through the glass ceiling. I'm obsessed with all things growth and abundance, and I'm here to talk you through the tried and true secrets to get you to level up your career and your life. We talk about the hard stuff here, imposter syndrome, perfectionism, fear, and burnout. So pull up a seat, pop in an earbud, and let's dive in. We bring our best selves to work when we bring our whole selves to work, but often a feeling of otherness, whether that's because of race, gender, class, or sexual identity, can stifle this authenticity. Today, we have Trisha Montalvo-Tim, author of Embrace the Power of You, with us to share her story of otherness and how she stepped into her full self paving the way for so many to follow. Trisha, how are you today? I am so glad you're here. Oh, thank you, Erica. I'm excited to be here. I am doing great. I'm excited for this conversation. Oh, me too. So not everyone may be a raving fan of you yet, like I am. (laughs) But can you tell us a little bit about who you are in your journey? Yes. Um, well, I'll tell you a little bit about my professional background and then my personal background, because I think they're both important. Um, professionally, um, I've been working in Silicon Valley for over 25 years. I started my career um, in a large corporate national law firm um, representing uh small to large global companies in M&A, IPOs, venture financing, everything corporate. I was a corporate securities attorney. Uh, And then from there, I spent most of my career uh, in-house as a corporate attorney uh, from small startups to large multinational corporations and everything in between. And my last uh, operational role was as general counsel of a company called Looker. Uh, We were a data analytics company which we sold to Google um, in 2020 in a very nice exit of 2.6 billion, um, which you know was a required global antitrust review and and all the things. So um, and from there I pivoted. I'm now sitting on a corporate board. I sit on the board of a company called Salsify out of Boston, uh, and I serve on several nonprofits and and I wrote this book. Uh, so I've had a, a phenomenal career. Um, and I will mention in between that, in between all of the rising up the corporate ladder, I also was a stay-at-home mom for a year. And I also ran my own consulting business for about uh, six years when my kids were little, because it, there was very little flexibility at the time 
in the corporate world. So uh, my new family was important to me. So I figured out a way to be able to stay in the game and also um, raise my kids when they were little. So on the personal side, um, I'm a first generation Latina. Uh, my mother is from El Salvador and my father is from Ecuador. Um, they came to this country and met in Los Angeles where I was born. Um, but education, like many immigrants to this country, education was the key to success. And so they invested, worked multiple jobs to ensure that we got a good education. And they moved us out of the city into the suburbs where suddenly um, I found myself as one of the few Latino families in a predominantly white community. And from then on, sort of, um, you know, they had faced a lot of discrimination. And so you might, they had, you know, thick Spanish accents. Uh, and so they encouraged me to assimilate. Um, they thought that it would be better for me and I had more success in this country if I just blended in. If, you know, people didn't know where I was from, if people wouldn't have bias um, or discrimination against me. And in some ways they were right. It did definitely propel me in a lot of different ways, but it also set in at a very early age that somehow being Latina um, was a disadvantage. And there were many messages along the way from, you know, that message to um, early in childhood, I did some acting and, you know, Hollywood told me to change my name because I was being typecast from the workplace being, you know, hearing derogatory comments and all the things, media being invisible or being stereotyped as, you know, Latinas as the cooks or the nannies or all these messages that sort of come in over a lifetime really created fear for me to show up proudly as a Latina in a predominantly white space. I was in a uh, role as a corporate attorney in enterprise software where it's it's still predominantly white male. So um, so I was another for most of my life and career. I love it. That is extremely helpful in understanding what this book might be about. And one of the very first questions that I want to ask is because in talking about getting comfortable showing up proud, that was something you said, and it struck me. How do you start to embrace that and start showing up being proud about it when you've spent so long trying to hide those pieces? You know, it for me, it took a long time. And part of the journey was really recognizing I was even doing this. Mm. Uh, you know, this whole process of adapting and fitting in became so normalized in who I was. Um, I didn't even recognize I was putting on this armor every day that I was going to work, every day that I was going out in spaces where I was an other. It was just this armor that I put on to protect myself. Um, strategies and normalization of behaviors. And, you know, I would straighten my hair because that felt more professional. What I wore, what I said, what I, you know, my interests, all of them, I um, just so desperately wanted to fit in. I kept looking around and saying, okay, what is everyone around me doing, looking like saying, and I will be that because therefore I will be accepted. Um, and so that um, you know, that's, it's called code switching, but that adapting and that fitting in process, it is emotionally and physically exhausting over time. Uh, you can do it in, you know, for days on end and, and in my case, decades, uh, but eventually um, it becomes exhausting. It becomes too much. And, you know, everyone's on a different journey and when that is. Um, but for me, it happened uh, probably 20 years into my career. And so, um, I decided I just can't do that anymore. Um, and I, 
I didn't, I just knew that I was unhappy. I was struggling. I was um, not showing up fully. At that point, I, you know, with 20 years of experience working with global companies and high tech companies, um, I should be confident. I should be, you know, um, being comfortable being in executive level positions. But I had that, that point, um, really had suffered from imposter syndrome. I, you know, didn't have confidence. I lacked executive presence, all the things. And so I, be, I started on a journey of why, why did I not have executive presence? Why did I not feel confident? Why do I have imposter syndrome? And in, and in packing that, I realized it was because I wasn't showing up as myself. Um, and I couldn't feel like I belonged in the room. And when you don't believe that your experience, your lived experience, your background fully contributes to the conversation, then others around you can't either. So that work begins with you. Absolutely. I talk a lot about being the sober executive, which I should brand that because it's yes. very <laughs> interesting because yeah. when we go on these executive roundtables or meets, I mean, everybody meets for happy hours and right. that's cool. I'm fine being around all that, but the level of otherness that I feel because right. I have to air quote, explain myself. Right. Right. Is exhausting. And right. in the beginning of my sobriety journal, I would often fake having a drink mm-hmm. because it just felt easier. And you're right. right. Like you can do it in these little stints, but then you're like, oh, I got to make it through this. I got to get right. through this versus now. when I just show up and I'm like, I will have a sparkling water. Or can you get me that without alcohol in it? It's so much easier. It's but freeing, it's right? Very freeing. But I also recognize too, though, that I sit in a position of power being a chief people officer and that it is much easier for me to shut someone down who might be coming at me in a negative way where so many others may not. Yes. So how would you, or what would you say to someone who might not be in a position like you or I, from an authority Mm -hmm. standpoint, how can they kind of shut down people like that who are maybe saying things Maybe they mean a derogatory. Maybe they don't. Maybe they just don't know any better. You know, what can they say? Uh, Yeah. And, and, you know, I think at this point, a lot of, um, well, I mean, there is, you know, clear bias in some ways, but there, a lot of it is unconscious. You know, I think people genuinely want to do the right thing and and learn. And and so um, I recognize that as well. You know, having this podcast, these conversations are so important. And I think that times have changed while we need to make more, you know, continue to make progress. Things have changed uh, a bit where in um, some organizations and in some conversations, um, we're normalizing some of these conversations, which helps create the space for somebody to show up authentically. So I think it's a, you know, a two-prong approach, right? It's doing your own work so that you have the courage to show up authentically, but it's also each of us as leaders, um, each of us in our organizations, creating the spaces that allow the psychological safety for people to take that first courageous step. And so for those of us that are leaders and allies, recognizing that otherness exists, And so when we're planning events, for example, why does it always have to be happy hour? Why can't it be, you know, mid-afternoon lunch? So being conscious of what people that have a different lived experience might react to certain things. And so cultural awareness programs, storytelling programs, mentorship, 
all of those programs and activities help create awareness and create psychological safety for someone to take that first brave step. Yeah. One of my favorite activities that we did at my company was, I believe it was Jamaican American Heritage Month. And we put out a call to anyone. If you fall into this category and you want to share a story, we'd love to hear it. And one of the questions that we asked that was really powerful, I thought was what is something that nobody knows about your culture or you that you wish they did. And we got so many interesting answers, but we just created all these beautiful infographics and sent them out really educational awareness and also just honoring their culture and who they are. I Um, love that. Yeah. I love that. And that's similar to the storytelling programs that I've seen where you you don't, you know, you don't know a colleague that's worked with you, you know, sat by them for five years. And until you hear their story or their culture or what happens at home, you're like, wow, I didn't even know that, like how beautiful that is. Or we have something similar in our culture. Let's, let's connect, you know? And I think at the end of the day, you know, we are human beings. We like to, um, connect with people and belong. And there's so many ways that we can connect with each other. But if people have that armor and are trying to fit into whatever they feel the dominant majority situation might look like, um, we're not even seeing that piece of them. And I think that's a tragedy because you're not um, getting that perspective from that individual into the workplace. Yeah. One of the pieces of work that I really had to do on myself was you called it code switching. I grew up calling it being the chameleon in the room, right? I could fit into any situation, but I looked at it as such a positive. And there were things about it that did help me get ahead in my career. I was able to mold into any group and make connections. But again, to your point, after you do that time and time again, you realize that, sure, maybe you've climbed up the ladder and you're hanging out with all these people that you wanted to be hanging out with, but do they even know who you are? Yeah. And do you feel comfortable, right? I mean, just a general sense of, you know, when I'm in spaces right right now with women of color, um, the common theme I hear is it's not until we get home that we can just, ah, relax, right? You're just, you know, physically their bodies are like up here and then like, oh, I can relax. And, um, and I think that that's an important piece if we're not feeling confident in those spaces, but, um, you know, I, I loved your uh, comment about being a chameleon. You know, when I was thinking about different designs for my book, one of the early things was a chameleon on the front cover um, because it is this like you're there, but you're not there, right? You've adapted, you've, you're just kind of hiding, right, within the different environments. And, and it is exhausting, but at the same time, uh, I'll tell you, there is a piece of me and I think a, a leadership skill that I have is really having a, you know, emo, you know, a high EQ, I can read a room um, be, because I had to for so many years. Uh, I, I can understand, you know, and I'm, I think, you know, we can take that skill that we use as a strategy and um, really think of it as, a, as an asset. Hmm. I love that. I love that it was almost a chameleon too. It was almost a chameleon. <laughs> <laughs> so how can someone continue to show up as their whole selves or even start to show up as their whole self if they don't feel that it's safe to do so? Because we know there are so many companies out there, so many people out there that do harbor true discrimination. Yes, yes. 
You know, I think the first thing to do, and I have I have a chapter in the book called, um, you know, the find your toolbox. And one of the tools uh, is find your people. Uh, and I think there are different types of people that you need in your life on this journey. There is, you have to find people that are your personal champion. So whether that's um, a family member, a friend, um, an executive coach, uh, a mentor, a therapist, you know, somebody who sees you, values you, reminds you of the value you bring to an organization, to an uh, conversation, because oftentimes that's the work. We don't believe we're enough and we need someone to remind us, you know, when we stumble upon those moments in our life. Um, So one is just kind of support yourself. Another thing I know um, we hear a lot is having your own personal board of directors, which again is just a little, an extension of that, have several people um, in your life that are serving that role. Um, The second thing is find your community. And so external organizations or, you know, I know a lot of organizations now have employee resource groups or affinity groups. Um, Those are extremely powerful um, because you are then around people that have the same lived experiences and that are have the same day to day challenges that other people may just not understand. And it's not anyone's fault that they don't understand. It's just they don't they, they haven't walked in your shoes. And so when you're surrounded by those people, one, you just feel seen, you just feel validated, like, oh, okay, like that comment that's so and so made, it bothered me. Am I being too sensitive? Or maybe I shouldn't worry about it. And someone else saying, no, that I can see why that hurt, or I can see why that impacted you. It makes sense. I mean, really feeling seen is so powerful. So, um, you know, for me, for example, I remember the first time I walked into a, um, there was an organization called Watermark back in the day, which was a women's organization. And walking into a room with 2000 women, it was the first time I'd been in a room with all women. And it was so powerful to hear that they struggled with the same things that I struggled day to day. So finding external organizations and becoming a part of them um, will really help on this journey. Yeah, that has been extremely helpful for me with Chief because I live in suburbia South, right? Most (laughs) of the women are stay-at-home moms or they work part-time and they play tennis and that is great. I rely on them to pick my kids up. Yes. So (laughs) I'm not knocking anybody. I need them in my village. Absolutely. When I would be talking about the stressors of my day and EBITDA and this, it just, it wasn't computing. It wasn't a a conversation we could have hanging out over dinner. And so being able to just connect to just commiserate together and celebrate, right? If you are landing another big promotion, I would have people ask me like, aren't you happy though where you're at? Like, isn't that enough? (laughs) Right. You know, and I'm like, it's not enough. And when you're with those like-minded people who believe in that same level of continuous growth, it's so much easier to connect. It is. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, You need your people. So community, your village, all of it. (laughs) I will share this too, because this was really helpful in my journey of owning my otherness was, and this is from my therapist. She said that not everyone needs to know your whole journey. Mm -hmm. And that was so powerful for me because when I started really stepping into my otherness, I kind of had this urge where I was like, well, I'm just going to have to explain everything to everyone and tell everybody everything. 
And she's like, no, no, you don't got to do that, Erica. Like, you could just reveal what you want to reveal when you want to reveal it. And I was like, oh. And so it was very powerful to know that my story was mine. And what I want to share is up to me. Yeah. And I think the key point there is agency. It's making sure that you have agency over your story and the timing of that, of when you're going to tell that story. Uh, I think that having agency around when you tell your story and who to tell it to is critical. Um, People have to earn the right to hear your story. And if you feel that you're in an environment where that story isn't going to be held in a safe way, it's okay to make the choice not to tell it. Now, it might not be a place where you're going to feel deep connection over time. And so that's a decision you have to make on how long you stay there. And you might stay there a while. There might be good professional opportunities and and, and other things. Uh, but it, it, telling your story is, is requires a ton of vulnerability. Um, so, you, you know, having agency over it and also having the support system around potential backlash. Um, so let's say you know that environment might be safe, um, but you still want to share your story. You're in that place where you're you're comfortable sharing it and you're aware there may be backlash. Do you have the tools to handle that backlash? Do you have the village that you can come back to and say, this is what happened. This was a really hard day um, and have someone say, I, I hear you. I see that. But you know, the larger journey here for you is the impact you're making on the employees and the culture of that organization. You're a role model. You know, whatever the things that you need to hear to encourage you to have the courage to continue to tell your story. Uh, But, you know, I think that it's important to recognize where you are and a season in your life. Let's say you have all the tools, but you have two toddlers at home Well, you know, I know when I had two toddlers at home, I'm just trying to get through the day. You know, I'm not fighting, you know, racial justice at work. I just don't have the bandwidth, you know. So, you know, there we go through different seasons in our life and our career. um, And I think the key is recognizing where you are in that space. I do love that. And that's so true because it's not always the most important thing is to just come out with this story. You're all in the trenches doing something else. And that's totally okay. Yeah, yeah. And I think what's so important is just focusing on doing the work, the organization's doing work, every individual who has otherness doing the work, even though it's exhausting, because mm-hmm. without that, we're not going to see the change. It no. takes both sides of the coin to really drive that change forward. And I read a ton of these books all about women in the workplace, which you talk about a ton of in your book. And, you know, we work in corporate America, which is by men for men. So, none of, <laughs> you know, none of these, it's like an infomercial. <laughs> I know. <laughs> by men for men. Yes. But none of the policies support women. None of the policies support moms. What we also have to realize and what I've been doing a lot of work around is that we also have to support men too, because mm-hmm. if we don't have full parental leave for both genders, Mm-hmm. The man will never be able to step up to help the woman. Right. No, I, I agree. And giving normalizing parental leave for, for both genders. Uh, I remember a powerful moment at my last company where we hired our chief customer success officer. He um, was a man 
And he, two weeks into the job, he took three month paternal leave and, you know, he negotiated it coming in. And I just, I just remember looking at that and thinking how powerful that is for all the other women to see that he values being at home, supporting his family, bonding with his kids, supporting his wife. So, um, you know, I, I definitely agree that we need to support our men in a lot of these conversations. Men want to be our allies. They don't know where to start. They don't know. They don't want to get it wrong. So they freeze. They might do nothing because they just don't want to make mistakes. And so I also think that working with our male allies is important. You know, every opportunity that I got in my career was from a white male manager or sponsor. Um, he opened doors for me. Uh, and so we need them in our lives to support us and open doors. I am right there with you, right there with you. And I, I love so much of what you talk about in your book about being a working mom with a young baby breastfeeding in parking lots. I mean, doing whatever you had to do, which was extreme, right? Yes. Like so many other women would have just quit and walked away. How did you find the grit, the courage, the resilience to just stay and, and you know, I don't know, grin, grin through it, grin and bear it. What am I looking for here? What was I doing? Yeah. So the story you refer to is when I first had my first baby, I was in a large public software company and I was the only woman in leadership. And so I didn't know how I was going to do all of this. And I also knew that it wasn't very supported. We didn't, you know, within the management team. And when I announced my pregnancy, I finally had to, right? I was showing my manager said to me, how could you do this to me? I've seen this movie. I know how it ends. Walked away, didn't speak to me for a week. So in that environment, I knew that showing up proudly as a working mom, talking about all the challenges of college, nursing, you know, all the things really would, would be dangerous in that environment. I, I'm not sure I would make it. I was the sole breadwinner at the time, Erica. We had decided that my, I, I loved my career. I was enjoying what I was doing. And so we decided for my husband to stay at home with my daughter and so I had real fear that I would lose my job. And so, you know, one of the things I will say for people that um, are others and particularly those from underrepresented communities, there's a resilience muscle that you develop over time that you don't even know you're developing. So you ask, how did you do this? It was just, you know, whether it's that resilience muscle of I had to overcome over and over again to get to the position I was at. Um, I also think it was seeing my immigrant parents um, having to be resilient over and over again um, in making it in this country. Uh, it was all of those things and and probably a little stubbornness on my part to prove that my movie would end differently. Uh, I didn't want to be that person that wouldn't make it. Uh, so he almost probably fueled me into proving it. Um, but I would say, I stayed too long, uh, for sure. If I could go back to that, um, to that young mother, I would say you are worth more. You deserve to be treated better. Um, and there are other organizations, uh, where you could thrive, but I, you know, I did it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you said, we all do, we all yeah. figure it out somehow. I mean, we are multidimensional people, as you said, you know, we we're a parent, we're a mother, we're a caregiver, we're a daughter. All of these life events are happening to us and to pretend that they're not 
you're only going to create the lying, the, you know, the hiding, the downplaying, all of these things where, um, where you're not going to get genuine connection between the employee and the organization. Um, and ultimately those people leave. And so what you're creating is um, retention, loyalty, excitement, career opportunity, like you're creating a space for all these employees um, to really show up as their best um, when you give them grace, when those challenges show up. Ooh, I love it. I love it. Well, Trisha, the one question I ask everybody in my podcast is if you could go back in time to the Trisha who's straightening her hair and doing everything to hide her amazing Latina self, what would that one piece of advice be? Um, I, you know, I would tell her that she is enough exactly the way she is and that her background, her parents, her family, everything, all the values, everything that be contributed to making her Trisha is incredibly powerful and an asset in an organization. Um, you know, I have multiple identities as you, you know, you talked about, which as a, as a woman, I bring a different perspective into the room. As a Latina, I bring, you know, the, all the cultural and, and, and ethnic perspectives, especially in this growing demographic of Latinos are, you know, fastest growing demographic in our country. Um, that's, there's a huge market opportunity there that's being lost by not bringing that perspective into the room. And as a parent, you know, the parental leave policies, all the different aspects of being a parent um, if I don't bring that into the office, what a disservice it is to all those that we have in our organizations. And so I would say that it's actually your superpower and not a liability. And so let those fears go. And Trisha, I'm going to link your book, Embrace the Power of You in the show notes, but where else can people find you? Ah, they can find me at trishatim.com, uh, T-R-I-C-I-A-T-I-M-M. Um, but my book is everywhere books are sold. So you can find it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Indie. Uh, feel free to ask for it at your at your public library and we can get it there. Um, but yeah, there it's, um, I'm just blessed to have it um, everywhere. It's an amazing, amazing book. I think I read it in like two days. So. Oh, Thank you, Erica. <laughs> thank you, Krisha, for your time today. Thank you for your work. Thank you for writing that book. It is truly a work of art. So I really appreciate you. Thank you. That means a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I am so thrilled that you tuned in today. Trisha Matalvo tim is just such an amazing and magnificent person. And if you are in other in any way, shape, or form, whether that is race, gender, ethnicity, or like me, a summer person, I hope that you found community in this podcast and I hope that it resonated with you. So make sure that you are following me on Instagram, LinkedIn, and all of the socials for more content just like this. And one last thing before you go, remember that it is time to stop putting ceilings on what is possible and you've got to start breaking through. I'll talk to you next time, friend. Mm-hmm.